week's Space Cowboy Shits His Pants <laughs> edition of Spin Cycle. <laughs> More on that later. I don't doubt it. I hope so anyway. <laughs> oh, he's already doing it. Uh, we are broadcasting from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri, Woi Wurrung and Bonnarong people of the Kulin Nation. Always was, always will be. <clears throat> and I do want to acknowledge also the Noongar people this week who in their amazing welcoming way and also in their grief but steadfast acknowledgement of a beautiful life held vigils and welcomed uh, all of us to vigils <clears throat> around the country for Noongar boy Cassius Turvey in every town and every city uh, and uh, alongside, you know, in partnership with Indigenous communities all over this nation. And, um, I, you know, last night seeing a huge rainbow fly, really strong rainbow fly after the Nam Vigil was really something else. That was incredible. I think, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not one who reads omens into into acts of nature but there was just something so shattering about that mm. about the about the whole about but the whole just event, so obviously. beautiful but so after, exquisitely beautiful after yeah. we'd heard just about the dynamic energy yeah yeah that um cassius lived with to see that just burst from the sky was mm. i i literally stopped and gasped it was incredible um so thank you uh to everyone and anyone listening, any First Nations people, we can only try and continue um, helping support, you know, the fight, the justice for Cassius. Um, Over the next hour, we will dive into some of the news stories of the week, including um, the coverage of Cassius's death, um, the election coverage, uh, the horse race that bores the nation and the incredible resurrection of Bryce Courtney. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just in time for Christmas book sales. <laughs> <laughs> All that and more. Uh, in about 15 minutes as well, we're going to be chatting to writer Samantha Floriani, who is a program lead at Digital, Digital Rights Watch, about how <clears throat> journalism is going to get musked with developments at Twitter and beyond. See, it makes sense now. My little intro, doesn't it? Yep, yep, yep. Crystal clean. So uh, what do we mean? Well, let's start. Oh, look, yeah, election coverage. There was a – what do you reckon? Well, yeah, well, actually, I might just thought we should – just to cover off a little bit more on on, on Cassius Turvey and and, and the media coverage of that. Yeah. Um, from, from that angle, um, obviously it was it was an incredible event last night, and and it seems as though there were several across Australia and and across across the world from the sounds of things, which is which is wonderful to see in, in many ways. Obviously, you'd really rather it wasn't happening at all, but but it's incredible to see the, that kind of turnout and that kind of solidarity, and as you say, the incredible um, the incredible uh, dignity and strength of Cassius's families and the local indigenous people who who put these. Uh, events together that the one little thing that i thought just from which from from a kind of media perspective of, and from what kind of concerns our show specifically um was last week we talked a lot about um i guess a combination of kind of legal fears cowardice straight up just prejudice has kind of prevented a lot of people for a very long time 
um, from using kind of particularly explicit language when it comes to events. Oh, events is a horrible word, but the when it comes to it, ish, something they can't like what say happened. Something is racist. Yeah, yeah. You you, you can't. Uh, yeah, you, you're scared of prejudicing a trial or or being sued for defamation. Um, what was really interesting um, in in the aftermath of that, the, the, the very next day, we were. We were sort of not proven wrong, but but that actually did end up happening. The, the this is the first time in, in my time of, of watching these kinds of issues that we have seen. Firstly, we saw um, the newspaper, the West Australian, um, put out an editorial which said we have to call this what it is. Uh, they, they, in their editorial, they said there are those who seek to dismiss Cassius's killing as just another tragic act of violence. It is not. That there was a racial element to this attack is clear, and to minimise that just allows racism to root deeper into our society. We must name it to face it. That might, I mean, that mm. that, that whole editorial was very clearly, and appropriately, I, I would actually argue, clearly looked over very closely by a legal team to make sure that you could you could you had it allegedly in the right place and things like that. But that is still a, a strong thing to say before. Um, yeah, that is stronger than I've seen in, in a mainstream media outlet for a very, very long time. And of course, sort of stepping up from that the same day, uh, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said the exact same thing. He said this attack is clearly racially motivated, um, which, again, I cannot imagine another prime minister in our lifetime um, saying saying those words, saying those words as explicitly as he did. Um, Brooke Boney also uh, oh, yes, yes. wrote an, in, an incredible um, opinion piece in nine papers, um, which very, you know, directly addressed this, the uh, police commissioner's comments about the wrong mm-hmm. place, wrong time. Yeah. Um, you know, again, just saying if walking home from school with his mates is the wrong place, you know, what what is... Where, where can you conceive, where, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and to your point, you know, the media is, I guess, correcting perhaps the initial response in the first week. Yeah, I mean, it took... It's That's the thing, is that it took... Which was kind of gaslighting. Yeah, I mean, like, so obviously the West Australian, I think, again, their coverage of it, they, they put it on the front page a few times and they, 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 they treated it with the seriousness that it deserved, I think. Um, obviously over here there's been sort of deathly silence until until that. and uh, Not deathly silence, that's not fair, but, but not the level of... Um, Yes, as you say, there's there's a corrective there. I mean, again, we, we could argue that it took Anthony Albanese far too long to say anything about the issue. Hundred percent, and also the fact that um, the media are just so quick to quote police, yeah, and police yep, yep. Co- and to, to centre that, yeah, the, to centre that, yeah. and there's also there is a. You know, a mother's grief angle, which they mm. are happy to trot out, but they separate that from, you know... F- from institutional responses to yeah, that grief. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. from the actual cause of death, you know. Mm. But, yes, mm. you're right. At least this week the dialogue has been a little bit more open and seeing um, the incredible sort of numbers that came out across the country. Yeah. You know, yeah. yesterday... Um, in Nam, Melbourne, it's just spilled out well onto the streets. I yeah, don't think, yeah, yeah. you know, and I, I and it's um, yeah, it's it's incredible, and I hope everyone can hold the fire um, until you know there because a lot of questions came up, and you know, Cass's cousin spoke mm-hmm. incredibly. I, were, I mean, I. <clears throat> It was so emotional and when he was saying that he was 15 years old when Cassius was born and he held him in his hand and he was just overcome by joy and a sense of, um, you know, just 
he's oh, there was a word he said that just made me just go oh man, but um, you know even he was saying the 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 police the lack of police interest in taking a statement from Cassius while yeah. he was still alive yeah yeah, yeah you know yeah. they're very very strong even though these vigils were very much about a remembrance of of Cassius they were equally about. Um, questions and demanding answers for how this happened the way it did. It's not just, it's not enough just to, um, to charge someone and, and see that legal process play out, you know, the, the other, all of the things around it must be questioned and, Mm -hmm. and, and then, you know, must be investigated. We could probably quickly get rid of one of the, <laughs> One of the other topics of the week, whether it be the race, the, what, there are two races: <clears throat> the race that thankfully you know finished on Tuesday, and the race for uh, Victorian Parliament, which is just as much of a dead squid. I believe <laughs> they're both pretty bad. Both yeah. races. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you know, the, 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 it's a funny one. So obviously, we saw um, this week a front page uh, resurrecting. Um, a, a story about Dan Andrews. Yes, so funny. Today, today's cover of the Herald Sun. Um, anyone viewing it without knowing the history would have seen uh, an incredibly timed moment of drama mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because Dan Andrews has been embroiled in it was an exclusive. There was an exclusive interview with the subject of a road accident. Which is huge, really, given we are yep. weeks away from an yep. election. If you <laughs> read a couple of paragraphs in, the road accident happened 19 years ago. Nine years ago. Oh, nine years ago. 2013. Sorry. 2013. 2013. <laughs> I, was, I took myself back to 2003. Nine <laughs> years ago. Which it's just an, a remarkable coincidence. Um, this is this is this getting, organically is... finding its way back to a front page <laughs> at, on on in, on the first few days of, of an election campaign. That yeah. this person is suddenly sounding as outraged as they were, mm-hmm. as though it happened yesterday. And you know, let's be clear: we are not. Um, we, we don't support either side, either party in this no, race. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean I, it's just the as a as an observation on on media activity. It's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, and this is. I mean, again, I, I don't want to minimize uh, what uh, the, the the complainant in this in this has gone through. He was fifteen at the time, and it seemed like it was a very very serious accident, and he was in hospital, and, and according to the article, nearly died. So I don't want to at all make make light of that. But what the, happened the, exactly? Well, there nine was, years ago. Well, I mean, there are there are conflicting accounts now. For the longest time, it has been understood that uh, um, the premier. Well, he wasn't even the premier then. Um, the Labour leader at the time, uh, his wife was driving the car. They they collided with a um, with a cyclist, a fifteen year old cyclist at the time. Uh, the, the 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 agreed upon. I don't know about the agreed upon, but the official the official story was that. Uh, the collision was very much that the, the the cyclist hit the car, um, and 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 again was very seriously injured. Uh, he so the cyclist was at fault. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the the argument now is that it, well, the, the argument that, that that he and his family are making and are trying to advance is that 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 wasn't the case, and they want more access to certain documents and things like that. Um, I think the yeah, I mean again, Just the I, timing is oh incredibly yeah 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 um, interesting. I mean, and the, I, the, the the thing is is that. 
yeah, as you say, when 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 we uh, whatever what whatever the people might think, we are we are not a partisan outfit, and <laughs> there is there is so much I think to legitimately criticize uh, Daniel Andrews and his know, government exactly. over. There is so much. Uh, there is actually there's not you, you haven't even got to look that far. There was an eye back. Uh, uh, that's sorry. The the broad based um, anti corruption uh, the, the 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 Victorian equivalent of ICAC um, mm. investigation. That handed down its report in August, um, talking about uh, branch stacking and misuse of public funds and nepotism in the in the Labour Party in their time in power. You haven't got to look that far to find some very very serious things. There's some environmental, massive environmental concerns. The, 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 yep, yep. Um, is it sorry, Vic Forest? What's it called again? The um, logging. Oh yeah, well I mean, well there's the destruction of the Jabberwong trees. Yes, there's also there's, there's also the old, old continued old forest old logging for, in Victoria. Old forest logging. There is uh, you know the criminalisation of protest, uh, the militarisation of police. I mean there are too many police powers in the state there are there are i mean and, and not to mention i mean i you know whatever you think of, of how necessary it was the longest and harshest lockdown in the country are we both sizing it's like no we have to I, prove no, that we are not left we are now <laughs> giving you all of the reasons no 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 i mean i mean also the thing is is that the, the, well, if, we, if we really want to, if we want to continue on this we can also talk about how the greatest talent that uh and he has a few talents politically, Dan Andrews, but one of them, one of the big ones is he's up against this iteration of the Victorian Liberal Party, <laughs> which is a malfunctioning clown car. Oh, you could not ask. Speaking of clown car, the ambulance. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. This is the thing is that the, the state election has been exactly what you'd expect it to be. This, again, back Hang on, when... I need to talk about the ambulance. Yes, I'm so, sorry, I'm sorry. so Matthew Guy obviously has made this big election promise about hospitals. Every single thing they do, they seem to be just like transgressing every sort of rule it's, in it's, campaigning it's as though they've never stepping. ever done this before, as though they've literally come from, they've never been in politics and they've just gone, hey, here's some ideas. And everyone's like, no, 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 there are rules. You're not allowed to do that. So so tell us about the ambulance. Well, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was a... Um, a um I guess a campaigning stunt is that they got an old ambulance and, and put various. It's quite a beautiful ambulance. A gorgeous old, old you know. Uh, yeah, it could have been a, an alternative <laughs> ghost, a Ghostbusters um, car. Exactly. Um, it's beautiful. And of course, there are there are strict rules about who's allowed to operate what is ostensibly a, an official ambulance. Um, but, I mean, there's, 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 as far as I'm aware, and I haven't checked in on well, this they, day, so they were told that they weren't allowed. They were so to told they were allowed to do it. I don't think anyone's got any serious trouble, but it's, it's just such a, a classic step on a rake moment yeah. um, from a, from a party that is exceedingly good at that. And obviously, the, the polls all do point in one direction, which is that. Is well, that... I loved also the fact that they had to get um, what's his name from the New South Wales Liberals to come down. Yeah. And yeah, campaign, yeah. Uh, just just to be able to spell out some coherent. Yeah, Matt, Matt Keane, the environment yeah. minister from from New South Wales, who's, who's again, uh, just again to prove my, I'm not I'm not partisan, a guy I find very impressive and has been a real leader in terms of like in things like climate change action, uh, and certainly on the conservative side of politics. But yes, they needed his. Well, clearly, yeah, they don't have anyone like that in Victoria <laughs> because he had to come yeah. and campaign on uh, on behalf of the Victorian Liberal Party um, because um, Dutton's not allowed. Yeah, but no, he's not allowed in the state. <laughs> it's just, I mean, yeah. the whole thing is, is so funny. It's a schmozzle. Radio Three Triple R.
So just when you thought that Twitter couldn't get any worse, uh, Elon Musk took over. <laughs> um, the tech billionaire has been giving off even more profound dumb guy vibes than usual since his takeover, tweeting and deleting a lot of misinformation and memes uh, while people posting racial slurs skyrockets. Uh, here to talk about these issues and a raft of other tech issues is Samantha Floriani. Uh, Sam is the program lead at Digital Rights Watch. Uh, she has worked as a policy analyst at the office of the Victorian Information Commissioner, and she's been published as a writer in Crikey, The Guardian, and Kill Your Darlings. And we are delighted to have, this, have her with us today. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So, I guess, in terms of the... What were some of the... Elon Musk, in, in the lead-up to taking over Twitter, kind of really put himself up as a free speech absolutist. Um, what were some of the issues, I think, that, you, that people kind of identified around that in, in the lead-up? Yeah, I think um, people pretty quickly reacted quite strongly to, you know, a lot of big talk about how he was going to, you know, free the bird and, um, you know, make Twitter a space where free speech could thrive and all of that. But people were pretty quick to react um, pretty strongly to that and point out how, you know, a lot of these ideas were actually things that Twitter has considered before, has trialled and tested, and in a lot of cases has decided against because it doesn't work. Um, and a lot of his ideas also stand to um, really undermine online safety, online trust, um, and stand to increase things like misinformation and disinformation, and as we're seeing now, hate speech as well. So it's a bit of a mess. <laughs> right, right. And I suppose, I mean, you've hinted at it a little bit there, but I mean, I suppose, is that the main issue in terms of, say, an area like journalism, which is for all the kind of awful addiction that we have to this place, it does actually act as a bit of a locus for information sharing and, and sort of um, journalists finding sources and things like that. Do you think there's going to be a bit of an exodus? Um, it's kind of hard to say, I guess. It, it, you know, it remains to be seen. I think we are all you know, anyone who's a Twitter user is pretty deeply addicted to Twitter, I think. So there's been a lot of talk about people leaving. But, um, yeah, I, I guess we'll see how bad things have to get before people actually leave. I think something that is worth keeping in mind is that, you know, Twitter is not as profitable as or, as, or even as popular as a lot of the other uh, major social media platforms, but it is really influential when it comes to public debate um, and like democratic participation and, and all of that. And part of the reason of that is because there is such a high percentage of you know journalists and politicians and activists and um, so you know th how this plays out could actually have quite an impact on how we've sort of grown accustomed to be able to have these online discussions. Sam, hi, it's Jess. Um, on that note, if we think of a lot of the bigger sort of movements over the last few years, um, Me Too or Black Lives Matter, um, even things... Like the Arab Spring going further yeah, back. and Arab Spring, even looking at what's happening um, currently in Iran or even in more locally, Justice for Turvey, uh, Justice for, sorry, for Cassius Turvey. What we're seeing is it, it, it's not necessarily just about, you know, journalists in the Western world. In fact, Twitter is um, phenomenally important for a lot of communities outside of those that are very amply re represented in mainstream media and mainstream journalism. I've seen a few um, tweets from... Um, there was an African journalist this week saying, you know, things like the blue tick that Elon is threatening to charge... 
$8 a month for after Stephen King bought him down from $20. Um, <laughs> saying that that blue tick actually keeps him safe, you know. What is your thought about that in terms, if we look outside the kind of, you know, the, the Western kind of dynamic, What what is the impact that we might see in terms of safety for journalists in other parts of the world? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really important point and one that often gets overlooked because we do, you know, it being in the West, we often focus very heavily on the West. Um, I think the the question of charging for the, the blue tick is a really interesting one and raises lots of potential issues, one of them being that it suddenly makes it unaffordable for, for some people who do rely on... Um, on that verification system and on, the, on, you know, the ability to make sure that um, other accounts aren't impersonating them and, and things like that. And so $8 a month might not seem like that much uh, in Australia. Um, to but, Elon. You know, in some other places, <laughs> or to Elon, but in some other places that, that could be enough to dissuade people from doing it. The other thing that I would raise is, you know, we, we don't know yet what the actual, like, Verification, like identity verification process will look like under Musk's Twitter. So Twitter has historically been really, really um, strong on protecting online anonymity. And anonymity is really, really important for a lot of people mm. who do, um, you know, important activism and advocacy work, especially in um, places where they are trying to hold people in power accountable um, and pushing back against the status quo and doing so um, at risk of their own safety. So I think um, aside from, like, the sort of misinformation issue with potentially having anyone be able to get a blue tick and impersonate somebody else, we're also, you know, potentially looking down the barrel of some pretty big um, questions around how Twitter moving forward will be able to continue to safeguard people's anonymity and whether they even will. I mean, mm. I've seen quite a few people on Twitter, you know, tweeting at Elon Musk, you know, encouraging him to try to get everyone to, you know, um, to, to take a real names policy mm. or to um, hand over identifying documents to be able to make sure that, you know, um, people are identifying themselves um, when they sign up. I absolutely but will never trust Elon Musk with no. my... I mean, I'd, I'd <laughs> rather should. give all of... I'd rather give more identifying do- documents to Optus. <laughs> <laughs> I think... That's pretty bleak. Yeah. Um, but well, this, this idea, this idea that um, that that removing anonymity will increase safety is a really flawed one, and one that kind of a lot of a lot of people fall back on without critically thinking about what it would actually mean for people doing really uh, critical work. Which I suppose does raise the raise the question: when um, you know accounts like Trump's get banned from Twitter there is an exodus of a certain kind of right-wing troll account to other places that don't regulate their um the you know the the posts quite so quite so rigorously and then we've seen that 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 as soon as Musk took over with his free speech absolutism that those kinds of guys came back and started sort of trying to test the boundaries of what mm. was acceptable now on the twitter do is there an option is there any kind of comparable platform out there that could 
not because attra- I'm sorry. I'm, I'm Are you looking for good Twitter? Yeah, basically, is, is there a place that, <laughs> that, that we can have good Twitter uh, if this if bad Twitter gets even worse? <laughs> God, I wish. I wish it was as simple as that. I mean, lots of people are talking about, um, you know, heading over to Mastodon, for example. But I've already seen some is, criticism that you, of that, though. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the issue is, is one of the sort of appealing parts of Twitter is that you, you have critical mass there. You have mm. you know, all of, you know, all of those people I was talking about just before, the, you know, the politicians, your journalists, your artists, your everyone, you know, mm-hmm. there are so many people there. And so I think a lot of people are reluctant to, to jump somewhere else when they know they're not going to have access to that sort of pool of people and that sort of community. I mean, there is that. A lot of people do talk about old Twitter, though. How great. Remember the early Twitter days? You know, you do see that a lot. Maybe there is somewhere that we can sort of recreate that again. A small group. I don't know. I think the times have changed, though, from when... Yeah, I think the world is objectively you know, worse now. I, went, I remember when I first joined Twitter, I was part of a very keen um, home baking and amateur photography. <laughs> it felt like... It sort of that felt... sounds so lovely. It was lovely. Yeah, it lovely. I know. It felt like a beautiful little community. Um, I love Twitter for lots of different reasons. But what, what do you think are the broader implications in terms of... Um, just in terms of cyber, in terms of safety, social media safety, and you know, you were talking about there were a lot of rules and checks in place at Twitter to try and protect people's safety. Now that Elon's come bowling in with this idea of free speech, and you know, obviously that's not an issue and it's not as important. What are the knock-on effects of that? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think to begin with, just looking at. Um, you know, his first moves, which are um, to, like, he fired a bunch of executives, one of which being the head of trust and safety. Mm. And there's been a lot of talk of firing a lot more staff who work in the trust and safety team. Like, this work is really, really challenging and it's really complex. And one of the, you know, one of the issues with things like content moderation, for example, which is sort of a key part of online safety, is that there's just so much so much context and so many edge cases. And if you don't have a robust and experienced staff who can handle that kind of thing, it's kind of inevitable that that's all going to fall apart pretty quickly. You know, combine that with some free speech absolutism and it's, you know, it's pretty easy to imagine how that could spiral into a space that is, you know, just full of um, hate speech and, uh, you know, um, abuse and harassment and whatnot. And I think that, you know, I think Musk doesn't necessarily understand what he's got himself into when it comes to content moderation. Mm. He talks a big game, but it's incredibly difficult to do at scale. Um, It's incredibly difficult to do well. And there's so many, like, very different um, pieces of legislation around the world that, you know, have different standards and expectations. And I just feel like it's going to crash and burn Mm. around him Mm. pretty quickly. Well, there's there's obviously the thing that if it becomes a hive for hate speech, then he's going to lose all those advertisers that keep the whole place going. And then you've just got hate bots who will pay eight bucks to be verified, I suppose. (laughs) Well, I mean, I suppose even the... You know, we make it sound like Twitter was almost idyllic before in terms of its (laughs) safety, but even then, even then, a lot of that was put in place in a sort of panicked reaction when Donald Trump took Twitter in a whole different direction when he was president. 
And, you know, this week even, the fact that Elon Musk, um, you know, tweeted at Hillary Clinton a pretty awful... A, a baseless conspiracy yeah, theory conspiracy about theory. Yeah, what happened to Paul Pelosi. Yeah, when uh, Nancy... You know, there was an attempted... Um, alleged attempted assassin, assassination attempt on Nancy Pelosi, which is in itself quite... Should be quite scary. Within minutes on Twitter, it was incredible watching the storm roll in. There were all these theories about who it was, what happened, completely um, sort of... Um, Muddy in the water, I suppose. And then Elon himself, who was the new owner of the platform, retweeted one of those conspiracy theories. What does this mean for politics in America? Yeah, I think that it's, it's certainly not great. I mean, one of the things that um, has happened that well, has reportedly happened is that um, some of the content moderation tools that internal staff had access to has been cut off. And so there's wow. been some commentary circling around at the moment about how, you know, it's we're just a few days out, like I think about a week out of midterm elections in the US. Um, you know, it's not a great time for um, <laughs> misinformation and disinformation to be circulating on an influential social media platform. So it'll be interesting, I think, um, to watch how that plays out in US politics for sure. To take a little bit of a, a left turn, but to talk about another area that I know you're, 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 you've written a great deal about, um, a story that really stood out to me this week was the renewed push, and it's obviously it's not new, it's been going for a very long time, from the Department of Home Affairs, um, that arguing essentially that hacks like the Optus one wouldn't have happened were they able to collect biometric data. Um, can we talk a little bit about that and about um, some of the horrifying implications of something like that? Yeah, absolutely. So it was kind of only a matter of time before this um, idea got pushed forward. And frankly, I'm surprised that it's taken this long post-Optus breach for Home Affairs to try and push the line of biometric digital identity. But here we are. Um, so essentially what they're, what they're arguing is that if, um, if we had, you know, a biometrically enabled digital identity, like a centralised um government digital identity, then people wouldn't have to be supplying their uh, identifying documents to individual companies because there would be like a framework set up so that you could have your identity verified without giving it directly to the company. So that is not necessarily a terrible idea, like, you know, minimising the amount of information, especially ID documents that we need to hand over to companies is a worthy goal, I think. The trouble is, like, there's a whole heap of uh, security and privacy risks that come up as soon as we talk about any kind of, like, centralised identity system. Um, you know, overseas, we've seen this be implemented and get kind of go awry and, and be abused in all kinds of different ways. And I think that we should always <laughs> keep that in mind. Like, there's, re there's very little to, to prevent um, abuses happening here, yeah. um, the, the given the right context. Well, the government is not your friend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just feel like it seems quite um, basic that, you know, you yeah. should you should own <laughs> your identifying your information. Exactly. I guess there's the thing is, no. like, if you think it's a hassle to change your passwords, if that gets, if that gets compromised by hackers, then yeah. try changing your fingerprints, like... 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that feels like, I feel, I'm starting to feel very Black Mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Really, and you should, and I think people rightly do feel that kind of way, especially in, you know, in light of all of the breaches recently. I think people are more aware aware than ever just how vulnerable we all are to, to security breaches and invasions of our privacy. And, you know, biometric data is incredibly sensitive. You know, it's just so innately tied to who we are and our, like, physicality. And as you like as you said, you can't, you know, readily change your face or your fingerprint if if that's compromised. So, you know, any system that proposes collecting biometric information, I think we need to be like deeply, deeply critical of. Well, also Peter Dutton is the head of the opposition and potentially, you know, the government. And I just think, well, he was... on the track record of people like that, what the hell? I mean, it was put forward a lot when he was Minister for Home yeah, Affairs. Yeah, exactly. Um, when people like that want to own everyone's biometric data, <laughs> oh, that gives me the skis. Which actually does bring me back to, a sort of, I guess, the, 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 the media angle of, of, of the show, which is how would you rate how the media has performed in terms of properly scrutinising issues like this? Because I feel like every couple of years... Home Affairs has tried to have tried, often kind of with success, to expand surveillance measures of one kind or another. And so often, because it's done under the guise of national security, it sometimes feels mm. like it's a bit waved mm. through. I mean, what, what are your views on that, Samantha? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I feel like a lot of the coverage really does kind of uncritically roll out the sort of national security line, the sort of, you know, tough on crime, anti-terrorism, like those kinds of, that kind of rhetoric gets relied on a lot. And that's, I mean, that's that's what the government uses as well to pass invasive and problematic legislation um, all the time. And so it's really disappointing when you see um, some parts of the media sort of uncritically just sort of take the government's um, talking points and regurgitate them. I think that, um, sadly, in Australia, there's still a lot of appetite for that kind of, like, law enforcement mm. angle, which is uh, a real shame because, you know, I strongly believe that uh, surveillance does not lead to safety in a meaningful sense. Um, and, you know, by undermining our human rights and our digital rights, we're sort of paving the way in the long term to, a, to a, an environment where none of us are safe, essentially. And so it's really... I would love to see the media take a bit more of a critical eye when it comes to talking about the realities of um, policing and law enforcement and national security or intelligence agencies, and unfortunately it just doesn't always happen. And then, uh, frustratingly, as someone who's a digital rights um, advocate, you know, occasionally we get kind of, like, rolled out as the sort of counter narrative mm. and sometimes that goes well but often we get positioned as like you know the mad oil <laughs> this, hatter, you this know? lefty crank <laughs> you'll basically just yeah. stop oil for the internet <laughs> for listeners um who are listening to all of this and just thinking well who do i trust what should i listen to where should i find my information what would what would be your advice yeah great question i mean i think um <laughs> I mean, <laughs> take this as you will, but um, follow Digital Rights Watch and listen <laughs> to us when it comes to digital rights issues. Of um, course. I will heartily endorse that. <laughs> they're, they're, they're great. They're great. Um, but I feel like there are a handful of journalists out there who are, you know, trying to do the work, and a lot of that comes from independent journalism. So I think it's just a matter of sort of finding 
finding the people who seem to cut through the the noise and and um, and following them. Maybe not on Twitter. Maybe somewhere else. Um, <laughs> Twitter for now. <laughs> All right, Samantha, well, thank you so much for joining us. That was a fascinating, fascinating chat. Uh, we really, really appreciate your time. No worries. Thanks for having me. Words and music. Triple R. Yes. Yeah. What's been going on with Bryce Courtney lately? <laughs> a good segue. <laughs> Look, I was just noodling around on the weekend and just, um, just thought I'd open a little article and... <laughs> I was taken to a place <laughs> that I didn't think possible anymore in this day and age. There was an incredible article in Sunday Life in the nine papers, the nine facts. What do you call them these days? <laughs> speaking, no, I mean, speaking of the facts, did you know it's that it's kaput this week? They announced the end of the fax machine. I did. I saw that um, that headline and I didn't read any further. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's well, not a huge. <laughs> Not a huge impact on my life, if I'm going to be honest. Um, no. and, and I feel like I think you know there are certain um, technologies that that have died in in our lifetime, and 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 that gets fa- that process gets faster and faster and faster. Where it's like, oh, I'll have some nostalgia for this. I really will miss this when it's gone. I felt that way about iPods. I felt that a little bit about VHS. Um, I don't think I don't, I don't know quite what I would miss with the facts. Well, I mean, seven seven four really milked it. <laughs> I heard all about it on a drive this week. Um, a lot of pathology departments and doctors oh, interesting. still rely on the facts. I did not know that. Uh, but that was a real departure from what we were going to talk about. So there was this article in Sunday Life and it was headlined, I had no idea he had romantic feelings, how Bryce Courtney won me over. It was written, it's been, it's written by Christine Courtney who um, was married to Bryce. He, he has died, Bryce Courtney. I don't know if anyone knew that. I'm sorry if that, <laughs> that comes as new information. It's been a while. Um, and Chris, this is an excerpt from a biography that Christine has written about her husband, um, a memoir, and it's supposed to be a very positive, loving memoir. It's called Bryce Courtney Storyteller. And Penguin Random House has um, published it. It's out just in time for Christmas, as a number of people said. Um, even beyond from beyond the grave, Bryce Courtney manages to bang out a Christmas <laughs> yeah, yeah. seller. But the article is just a real eye-opener. So Christine was Bryce Courtney's publisher. No, publicist. And... She basically... <laughs> she worked, how long did she work for him before they... Uh... Oh, it was a long time. Like, they'd known each other. Um, they met in 1993. And I think they got married in some time later. <laughs> well, I... I, I, I... 20, are you on Wikipedia? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm on the article. According to the opening of the article, it was around 2005. Right. That uh, he first made it clear that he thought that they would be good as a couple. Right. And um, in 2012, he, in a, in a television interview, explained, it was a slow maturation and a huge surprise when she finally liked me beyond friends. When he says slow maturation, the the thing that Christine describes in this article is basically just like 
an obsessive <laughs> stalking oh um sort of like um I don't know. It was like it's just such an inc- just such a weird article. I think a lot of people um, explained it as you know boomers. Hey, that's how they fall in love. Basically, yeah, it's a, different a woman just yeah. says no until she's worn down, and then she says yes. That's yeah. pretty much what she explained in this article. I mean, yeah, the the thing that really stood out to me, and I don't want to steal your. Um your the little the, the uh, I guess the twist in the tale here is the 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 relationship that Bryce had been in right prior so no no to. I have I I'm getting to that I'm getting <laughs> to that just you wait so there were um there were just a couple of funny little tells in it like um there was one thing where I meant um, um where he had to uh, address her by her full name Christine Gee. And a few people were kind of like, well, that's a bit weird. Um, there was, you know, the moment that she arrived at his house and just started crying because she didn't want to go inside. She was <laughs> so not enamoured with this relationship. Anyway, this article itself, um, uh, he says he was head over heels in love. All of the photos seem to show her with some sort of panicked expression in her face pulling away from him. Um, it's kind of got that vibe about it. <laughs> right, right. It's got that vibe about it. Uh, but weirdly, Christine um, Gay is on, you know, I did, I have to say I did do a little bit of internet stalking. <laughs> <laughs> and on her Instagram, she is like the CEO of some kind of, of, of Bryce Courtney Inc., or something right, weird right. like that. I mean, that's actually that. That's not all that uncommon, is it? If if the people's families, high-profile figures, when they pass away, their family kind of takes over the kind of and incorporates or, yeah. or corporatizes their their brand and kind of keeps it going. Sure, and um, but it was just weird that you know this this ex and also on the Instagram, there's lots of her gushing about the book and how it's supposed to be this loving tribute to his life, and hmm. you know, really sort of um, is a fitting tribute to all of his success. But the excerpt just does not paint him in a great light. Anyway, I did tweet this, <laughs> as is my as you want. Is Twitter is obviously still my go-to for um, for you know news gossip, and a lot of people responded viscerally to the article the way I did, which was comforting. Quite a few people pointed out something very interesting, which just is kind of jaw dropping. Jaw, jaw dropping, which is the fact that Christine Gay, the author of the article, is the identical twin sister of Margaret Gay, who was also romantically linked with and lived with Bryce Courtney several years prior to their relationship. Um, after he left, after Courtney left his long-term wife, Bonita, who I think he was married to for like 40 years or something. The Gay sisters apparently are virtually impossible. This is an... This is is, um, Andrew Ornery from 2005, the the gossip columnist. Andrew Ornery, who made made headlines earlier this year for for outing Rebel Wilson, that that same gossip columnist. Yeah. So he says the Gay sisters are virtually impossible to tell apart and are often confused with one another. At one time, a Sydney gossip columnist had to publish an apology for writing about a, 
<laughs> a jogging expedition Bryce Courtney went on with a mystery blonde wrongly identified as Christine Gay. Many still wonder if the woman was actually Margaret. So... I mean, the headline for me is brilliant, the, a, a romance to rival Twin Peaks. Like, that, that tells you everything you need to know, isn't it? <laughs> this is just a crazy, like, yeah, the romance plot to rival Twin Peaks. And then he, he does keep flogging that, that analogy. But I just, it just blew my mind that why, why is Christine Gay, writer of the, the Courtney book, putting this out there when it's on the public record... A, she was married to him for a year, so it wasn't. It's not like she right. has, you know, she has all this incredible history of, you know, life together to write a memoir of her own. So she's obviously writing a a book about her husband's life, based on you know other sources as well. Mm-hmm. B, <laughs> I mean, she did know him for you know. Oh, she did. Yeah, a decade. Course. She was his publicist. Yeah. Weird power dynamic, but anyway, we can get in that another time. But to to have this on the record that her twin sister was previously previously dating him, and then she writes this excerpt where he basic she basically paints his um, paints him as this pretty she, horrible stalking. She doesn't mention her no, sister of course not. in that excerpt. I mean, of oh course my not. god, like that is actually relevant. Information. I feel That's like a conversation his, it feels like they should have had to have had. I feel like the sister is the audience because <laughs> <laughs> because who else is she writing it for? It just reads yeah. so badly. Well, I would. Uh, I'm going to not um, speculate on anyone's motivations on any part of that. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. Thank you for bringing me back to reality. Anyway, I highly encourage everyone to read um, last Sunday Life's article, I had no idea he had romantic feelings, how Bryce Courtney won me over by Christine Courtney. Sorry, she's not Christine Gay anymore. Um, and please tweet me your feelings <laughs> <laughs> at Lily Juice on Twitter. Lovely stuff. I mean, the, the only the, my, my little uh, contribution to our, to our little wrap-up is the incredible news that uh, the British Conservative Party have actually found a line. Oh, they've, my God. They, they found something that, that will get you suspended from them, um, which is apparently so funny. A- appearing on shit reality TV. No, <laughs> um, well, I mean, I apologise. I, I apologise in advance. <laughs> in Australia. Of, uh, or is it back to South Africa now? No, it's back in Australia, I believe. Okay. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. Uh, former UK health minister. Um, who led some of the more disastrous parts of the of the COVID nineteen response in that country? Under Matt the Hancock. Tu- Matt Hancock. Yeah. 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 Did you say his name uh, already? I thought I did. Uh, um, who knows? Anyway, he's been suspended from the Conservative <laughs> Party uh, after the announcement that he was going to go and appear on I'm a Celebrity. Um, what's really, I think, kind of interesting about this is that yes, he he oversaw a period where a uh, former. Uh, Tory party kind of insider Dominic Cummings, who isn't necessarily the most reliable witness, but did just said that tens of thousands of people died. They didn't have to because of uh, the period when he was health minister and Johnson was was uh, prime minister, and, th- and that uh, there was about ten to fifteen things that Hancock had done in that time that should have gotten him fired. So it's really funny that it gets to this point, and also he is the guy, uh, the, the the kind of defining image of his time as as a as a high profile politician was him uh, breaking. 
uh, social distancing laws about as enthusiastic as you can with one of his aides during the Partygate scandal. That, that picture oh, coming out. Oh, yes, that video. The, the, Someone yeah. really disliked him, didn't they, to yeah, release yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Um, God, I love that shit, though. That's <laughs> yeah. British politics to a T. It, it is you know? the sleaze of it. The, I the love utter that stuff. I love um, that they release that crazy hmm. stuff. But that know? didn't get it. That, you know, he, he had to quit as health minister, but he didn't he had to quit the party. Now he's been suspended for for being on reality TV. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Nadge Samble, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.